We are in the study of the letter to the churches of Galatia. In the past couple of weeks, both I and another have been talking about the fruit of the Spirit. It is something that we ought to concentrate on, but at the same token, sometimes when we concentrate on a particular verse or verses, we tend to forget the overall context. The overall context is this, is that the Spirit comes through by faith alone, in Christ alone, and it's not there by keeping certain do's and don'ts and following certain commands and becoming circumcised. And Paul argued, if you started in the Spirit, then you should continue in the Spirit, and it's not a matter of do's and don'ts. He then proceeds and talks about, if you will, the fruit of the Spirit. And again, for us to be fruit inspectors of ourselves, not others. How is it that I know that I have faith in Christ? How is it that I know that the Spirit was within me and it's not pepperoni pizza? And so the answer Paul gives us is that if you're developing fruit of the Spirit, and again, emphasizing he did not say fruits of the Spirit, he didn't say, I'm a tree of love, but I don't do so good on joy. Or I'm a tree of kindness, but, you know, patience is not so good. It's, it's the fruit. It's one singular aspect that we are to look at ourselves and our lives and say, is the Spirit developing within me, and do I see evidence of that? We've been taking a look at part of one of those fruits is the fruit of the Spirit is love. Today we're going to take a look at three other aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. And again, they're not separate and distinct. They're all part of the fruit of the Spirit. Now the interesting thing is, is that our culture has a tendency to concentrate on a lesser form of one of these fruits. The lesser form is happiness. Even in our Declaration of Independence, we declare that we have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The problem with that is no one knows what that looks like. How do I know no one knows what that looks like? Because there are a number of people who think I'm going to be happy. And one of the ways I'm going to be happy is I'm going to be rich. And they pursue, pursue riches only to find that that didn't satisfy. Or they'll pursue fame. Or they'll pursue um, pleasure or whatever they think will make them happy at the end of the pursuit. Little if they'd known if they simply read one of the books in this Bible called Ecclesiastes, one of the richest, most wise men in all of the world said, all of these pursuits end up in vanity. It's worthless. And unfortunately, we see all too often in the lives of people that we think ought to be happy. And you know there's a number of people that you say, boy, if I only had that, I'd be happy. If I only did this, I'd be happy. But you know you're lying to yourself. Because even in your own life, you've said, if I just get X, a new car. If I only get this new car that I've always wanted, I'll be happy. And you're happy when you drive off the lot and for the first day or two, until you got to make the payment, or until the car doesn't run as great as you think, or you got to wash it, all of a sudden, now something else is going to make you happy. 
The scriptures don't talk about happiness because happiness depends on happening. The scripture says the fruit of the Spirit is joy. Joy is far different and better than happiness because joy does not depend on happenings. Joy doesn't even depend on your deciding you're going to be joyful. Although it kind of, if you will, if you have an attitude, it kind of helps. But again, joy does not come from, I'm going to choose today to be joyful. Now, one of the excuses we often use is, well, I'm only human. Right. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's not fruit of the perfect man or woman. You're not going to get there because of your capabilities as a human being. Joy comes because it is a result. It is a product. It is a fruit of the Spirit. Now, joy has a unique aspect as a fruit of the Spirit. Love, for instance, demands that I deny myself and give to you. Maybe even deny my life and benefit of you. Joy has a particular benefit to you. And we find that in Proverbs chapter 17, verse 22. It says this, A joyful heart is good medicine. No wonder so many people are ill, both of body, mind, and spirit, because they don't have joy. But joy is a medicine. But a broken spirit dries up the bones. And you know it. When you face certain problems or difficulties or trials, and you have joy, it doesn't infect you and impact you like it does if you're defeated. You have no energy. You're withered up. And the scripture says a joyful heart is good medicine. So, if it were possible, I would say, starting today, take your medicine. Be joyful. But notice in Psalms chapter Psalms 4, 132, verse 9, it says this, Let your priests be clothed with righteousness, and let your godly ones, that's you and me, those are the ones who are believers, those are the ones who are pursuing God. It says, let your godly ones sing the songs they like. Sing in a method that is proper. It says sing for joy. And it is very difficult to sing for joy if you don't have joy to sing. So, again, the scripture says, we are to, as his godly ones, we are to sing for joy. We are to let other people know that we're joyful. All too often, we believers want to be secret agents for God. And the scripture says, no, no, you're not to be, you're supposed to let it out. You're supposed to sing for joy. You're supposed to express that joy that is inside of you. The New Testament further talks about joy when it comes to Romans chapter 14, verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. It's not a matter of what you're supposed to eat or not eat. It's not the rules or the regulations. But righteousness and peace 
and joy in the Holy Spirit. It is interesting, we're going to see a couple of times, that the second fruit of this, actually third fruit of the Spirit, peace, is oftentimes very well melded in to joy. It's joy and peace, peace and joy. It's really difficult to have one without the other. Again, it is a fruit. It's not fruits of the Spirit. And so Paul is saying, the kingdom of God, the one that we are destined to be and the one that we are proclaiming and that the one that we will dwell in forever and ever is made up of not what we eat or drink, but of peace and joy, not in human existence, but in the Holy Spirit. So joy is essential. It's not a matter of happiness. And so when you examine yourself, not others, when you examine yourself and say, is the Spirit dwelling in me? Is it affecting me? Is it changing me? Is it not a matter of, well, did I go to church or not go to church? Did I go to the dance or not go to the dance? Did I um, give in the offering plate or not give in the offering plate? The question is, Am I experiencing joy in these circumstances? And then, peace. Another aspect of the fruit of the Spirit. One of the uh, funny sayings is, if everyone else is running around like a chicken with their head cut off and you're, you're not, and you don't understand the seriousness of the situation. That's not what it's here. We are to have peace in all circumstances. It's not a matter of, oh my goodness, my peace is dependent upon the happenings and the experiences, but my peace comes from within the Spirit. And so Jesus, in John chapter 14, starts off with this, says, do not let your heart be troubled. Don't let your heart abandon that peace. Don't let it be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Jesus says, if you want to have peace, start with faith in him. And then further in that chapter, in verse 27, he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. The peace that we are to experience is not a worldly peace. It's not a cessation of against us. It is a peace that Jesus gives to us. Again, it's not something that we determine we're going to do. It is something that he gives. It's his peace that he gives to us. And his peace is not a peace of the absence of, of opposition. That could be an armistice. That can be a ceasefire. That doesn't mean that there's resolution. The peace that Jesus gives, the peace that Jesus talks to us about, is one that is total reconciliation. And that reconciliation is with God. For you see, God hates sin. And guess what? We're sinners. But because of what Jesus did for us, we now have 
peace with God because we have been reconciled to God. There's not a matter of, oh, God's not no, no longer just against me. No, God is wants everything for me. Then nothing separates me from his love. And so again, when we examine our lives, do we take a look at what the Spirit is doing? Do we have love? Do we have joy? Do we have peace? Or is our peace so fleeting because the next situation that happens, we then run around like the world's on fire? Or do we understand the world may be on fire? But Jesus said, His peace is my peace. He's overcome the world. I'm going to let him be in control. One of the great statements we'll hear frequently is God is in control. But we want to take it back. We want it the way we want it. And the situation is that there are sometimes when God does things that will ultimately provide peace does not look like it. A really big example of that is the crucifixion. If you were a believer back then, and I suspect the believers back then were panicked, even though Jesus told them that he would die and on the third day raised from the dead, their world fell apart. They had no peace. They were afraid. And yet, because of what Jesus did in those circumstances, he ultimately derived peace with God. Philippians kind of throws a lot of this in as well. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 through 7, says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Notice Paul uses the term always. He didn't say rejoice in the Lord when it's going well. Quite frankly, that's what most of us do. Praise God that he got me out of this jam. As opposed to, praise God, I'm in this jam. Rejoice, which means, again, it's not re-happiness. It's rejoice. It's re-expressing the joy that is within. Rejoice in the Lord always, I will say again, rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God. Notice after he has said, rejoice, let your gentle spirit be known, be anxious for nothing, but by everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. When those things happen, and the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So, what are we worried about that we haven't made our requests made known to God? Let the peace of... And again, notice it didn't say the world's peace. It didn't say your peace but the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension. 
the world will never know the peace that you have because it doesn't have his peace. And that peace acts as a guard. You start to panic? No, I have. I'm not going to let my heart be troubled. I believe in God. I believe also in Christ. There's my guard. And it guards my heart, my emotions, my activities, and my mind in Christ Jesus. Colossians 3, 15 follows up and says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Notice he didn't say, let the peace of God hang out for a while. He says, let the peace of God rule in your heart. Let it be sovereign, that nothing will dethrone the peace that God has given because it rules in my heart. And again, it can only do that if it is a product, a byproduct of the Holy Spirit. Not something that you say, I'm going to make a resolution for and then do. And then Ephesians again, chapter 2, 14 says this, for he himself is our peace. Christ is our peace. He's the one that gave us peace. He's the one that's giving us his peace. He is the one that is our peace. And they said, who made both groups into one and broke down the barriers of the dividing wall. There were, the church was a matter of Jews and Gentiles, men and women, ethnic groups and non-ethnic groups. And Paul is saying there was an economy where there was the temple and the priest could go and the high priest once a year into the Holy of Holies and there was a courtyard of the men and a courtyard of the women and a courtyard of the Gentiles. They're all divided up. And if you were a Gentile, you couldn't go to where the Jewish women were and you couldn't go where the Jewish men were. You had to remain in a certain thing. And Paul says, Christ broke down those dividing walls. There is now peace amongst us and we are not splinter groups we are one body. So, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. And then one, it has to be a fruit of the Spirit, patience. Advice I often hear people give when people say, Pray for me that I might have patience. The usual response is, no, you don't want to do that. Because when you pray for patience, you're going to get all kinds of trials and tribulations and all kinds of stuff that's going to test your patience. Again, patience is one of those things that seems to be variable. The example I often give is when you love someone or a group more than others, that you have more patience with them. An example I always use are children at a restaurant. When you go to a restaurant and there's a crying baby and it's not yours or your grandchildren, 
you get really irritated and you lack patience. And I came here to have a nice meal, quiet. If I wanted this noise, I could have gone somewhere else. So can't you just shut that kid up? But if it's your child, or if it's your, especially your grandchild, parents tend to, oh, people might get upset, so they try to hush it down. Grandparents don't care. It's my grandkid. I don't care if you're upset. My kid. And even the parents, calm down, it's okay. I'll take him out, I'll do whatever. We have much more patience because we love those and we are patient. Patience comes because you have love, you have joy, you have peace. And because of all of those things, you can now have patience. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20 says this, For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? So if you've been an idiot, or you've been a sinner and you, and you get caught and you pay the price for being an idiot and you endure that, Peter goes, so what's the big deal? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. One of those verses, there are a few verses in the Scripture that says, this is the will of God for you. For instance, your sanctification is God's will for you. And there are so many people who say, I just want to know what God's will is. Okay, well, one of them is you're supposed to live a sanctified life. Another one is you're supposed to pray for leaders. You're supposed to do a number of things, which is God's will for you. This doesn't say, quote, unquote, it's God's will for you, but it does say God likes it. He favors it, and that is when you suffer for doing what is right and you patiently endure it. God says, all right. Now you're showing people who my son is. Now you're showing people who I am. It finds favor with God when we patiently endure wrongs against us. Notice, oh, this isn't fair. It's not right. You just patiently endure it. So he tells us to be patient when we're wronged. Part of what love is described as to be patient with those that we say we love. To be long-suffering with them. To endure it. But he also says patience in another way. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, it says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Rebuke, exhort, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. There was a time in the history of the gospel, and it appears at various different times. Peter, at Pentecost, 
preached, and a couple of thousand received the Lord. He preached again, and even more people received the Lord. He would be in jail, and people would receive the Lord. There would be other times in the Great Awakenings and the various times, whether it be in England or China or America, where there would be these times of Great Awakenings when it seems like the Spirit of God moved and people came to know Him and to be followers of Him. And then there are times when it seems, and now seems to be one of those times when yeah, there are some churches that grow, but a lot of churches just plateau, and it seems difficult to share your faith because, as the world kind of says now, if you want to believe, that's fine. Just keep it to yourself. We're told that we need to be patient in our ministry. Just because we have the words of life doesn't necessarily mean that person is ready to hear it at that particular moment. We need to be patient and know the opportunity not to hide, but to share it when it's appropriate. To understand that when you scatter your, the seed, when it falls on rocky ground, do not be surprised it fell on rocky ground. But to not give up because all the ground seems to be rocky. But you're patient. You understand that now may not be the best time to rebuke and to reprove, that you need to wait just a moment and then share. So we need to be patient. And again, in our world, that is not such an easy thing to do. We have a microwave society. You stick it in the microwave, you punch a minute or so, and now you got dinner. So why can't we have people change right away? Why can't people just accept the Lord and be wonderful people? Why is it that it takes a period of time? And the answer is the fruit of the Spirit. You don't just plant a tree and expect to see apples the next day or the next month or maybe even the next year. Sometimes fruit-bearing trees require time to get acclimated in the soil to receive the nutrients and then produce its fruit. Jesus has some really scary things to say for those plants that don't produce fruit. He says if you don't produce fruit, you cut it down and you use it for kindling. That doesn't sound like that meek, mild Jesus everybody talks about. That's why it is so important for you to inspect your fruit. Not important for me to inspect your fruit because I'm not your judge and I can't tell who, what fruit you have or don't have because it may be still developing. But we need to take a look at our lives and say, is it that the Holy Spirit has impacted my life or am I just checking off boxes because that's what it looks like? All too often in the church, one of the things that most people are upset with the church is that we're hypocrites. And all too often they're right. We are. The sad thing is, 
all too often we appear to be plastic trees bearing plastic fruit. It appears that we're producing fruit. And let's face it, in our world, we have really got down plastic stuff. I mean, it's hard to tell sometimes what, a, what an orange is a real orange or it's a fake orange or a banana. Whatever the fruit may be, we have really gotten really down to, making, to deceiving people that that plant's not real. It's a hypocrite. And in the same way, we get very adept at producing plastic fruit. That's why it's not for me to determine whether your fruit is plastic or real. But you know. And you inspect. So, praise God if in looking at your life you say, yeah, I see the fruit of the spirit of love. What about joy? What about peace? What about patience? It's not a fruit or another fruit. They're one fruit that's to be produced. So maybe we need to pray to say, Father, let not my heart be troubled. I believe in you. Help my unbelief that I might produce the fruit of the Spirit of peace. That I may not let this world take that from me and that I may rejoice and be joyful in all that you do. And to go back to patience. To understand that sometimes in the midst of things, it may seem that patience has run out and does no good. But again, look at the sacrifice that Christ made. The patience and the suffering that He endured that you and I might be His. He suffered when it wasn't right. And he patiently endured it for the benefit of you and me. Maybe, just maybe, if you suffered a little longer patiently, another, another ten, another hundred, another thousand might benefit of you patiently enduring a wrong suffering. A fruit is not only a result, but it can be used to feed others. The fruit is not for the purpose of the tree. It's for the purpose of producing more trees. So maybe the fruit within you is not for the purpose of making isn't it wonderful? You're a great Christian. Or maybe it might be because of that fruit others will come to know him. 
We're going to sing as our hymn of reflection. Like a river glorious is God's perfect peace. It flows. It goes deeper and deeper. And we may just partially understand peace. But as we understand it more and more, it'll go deeper and deeper and deeper so that the cares of this world just fade away because of His grace.